Engaging conversation with Jalen Nye and Andrew Gross. Breaking news with Eileen Bell and sports with Morley Scott. This is the afternoon news on 630 Chat, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. It is 3.06 on a Monday afternoon. Brenton Dreger in for Andrew and Jay Lynn. It is Monday. It's election day. And uh, so make sure you stick around tonight for Decision Edmonton. Polls close at 8. So you have until 8 o'clock to vote. And then tonight at 8, Decision Edmonton on 6.30 Chet and globalnews.ca from 8 to 9.30, anchored by Gord Steinke and Caroline Devaney, uh, also including Ryan Jesperson, Jay Lynn Nye, Andrew Gross. And then after Decision Edmonton wraps up, Andrew and Jay Lynn uh, will stick around here on Chad with extended radio coverage until 11. So there you have it, all you need to uh, to be informed. In studio right now, uh, joined by former city councillor Kim Cruchel and Zori Saher of Intervivos. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So, I mean, it's election day. It's, um, I, I, I don't know, you've got an incumbent mayor and you've got a few open wards, no major burning ballot box issue like an arena or a city center airport closing. What can we realistically expect for a voter turnout today? I think your voter turnout's going to be on the low side. Uh, hopefully they'll hit the 30% mark, but they could be below that. Hmm. It really depends. I'm hoping we'll see a higher voter turnout in the open wards at least. So that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, I think in the in the open wards there'll be a lot of, uh, hopefully, yeah, a bunch of turnout. And some of the wards that have had um, have incumbents and have incumbents there for a couple of terms too, there seem to be some strong competition too, so maybe that will bring out some more people. Which wards do you think that there might be, uh, I don't know if you would say an incumbent is in danger, but where do you think there could be some healthy competition against an incumbent today? I would say maybe like Ward 10, like where um, um, Michael Walters is right now too. That could be that could be one. There's a lot of uh, issues around there in with infill and the LRT. Um, they're really strong um, opposition a candidate who actually worked with a company to bring out uh, to get out the vote and do volunteers and that type of thing. So it could be a, some competition there too. Are there any you're watching, Kim? Uh, Ward 7 is one to watch. Sorry, if I can just get your mic is kind of pointing off to the side there. If you want to turn it, yep, that's perfect. I think Ward, gonna, yes. Ward 7 is one to watch just because of the fact mm. that uh, Tony Catarina, it's a two-man race. And so what incumbents have to worry about is when you're in a situation where it's a two-man race. So you and the other candidate, and the other candidate is starting to gain on you. And so there's a guy by the name of Chris Andrachuk, and he is working super hard. So those are what... that. That spurs an incumbent to make sure that they're out there. So Tony's team is going to be working pretty hard today, I would suspect, because mm. he's in a two-man race situation. Mm. Whereas some of those other wards with the incumbents, you've got so many people running, and they're you have a lot working hard, whereas they might not make that two-man race happen. So one of the other ones that people have been talking about is uh, Ward 8, where Kirsten Goa is working pretty hard. So that's one where Ben Henderson is the incumbent. Mm. But again, you've got a lot of people running and a lot of a lot of signage, a lot of workers. So that favors incumbents to win. So at the end of the day, I'll be surprised if we see a change on an incumbent race, but it's possible. And I believe one of our reporters in the newsroom was commenting earlier when the 
the turnout numbers came in for the first couple of hours or the day or whatever, and they were saying that in Ward 8, the turnout was pretty high, or it was kind of higher than other wards. Mm. Well, and, and that would be the fact that you have those candidates working really hard, right? And mm-hmm. that's where an incumbent can sometimes be challenged. But I'll be blunt, normally... When you don't have a mayoral race that's super exciting, you don't end up with a high voter turnout. And and that's what kind of st- it's where it stems from. That's why people are watching the Calgary race very carefully because there you do have a big race happening uh, for the mayor's chair. So that's kind of what we see. Zori, if you're an incumbent coming, I mean I mean what does it take to lose a race? <laughs> like what what do you what, like what do you have to do to <laughs> to to I think to let these last in? I think these last few days are, are really what 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 it takes and today's is, is not having a strong organized get out the vote campaign and getting having your people driving people to the polls, doing some social media posts like this morning I woke up and even some of the incumbents had done videos and that type of thing. Still and still, there's this really old school view about of signs because I know, like in um, the word mm. we were talking about, where Christian Go and and Ben Henderson are running. I know that I've heard that a lot of people said, "Well, there's not many Ben Henderson signs." So that would kind of make some people maybe feel a little bit, "Oh, that Ben Henderson's not working for it." But who knows what will what will happen there too? So, the, yeah, last few days is like is, I think is a big. Thing. And reaching out to lots of different groups and showing like in your videos and stuff you're putting on social media that you're reaching out to different groups like that, like what the group that interviewed us represents, like young professionals, that type of thing. Now, I mentioned this on the, on the air earlier um, that it, it really feels like in this election, like there's no major burning ballot box issue. I mean, we, we had the, the arena a few years ago, the airport before that. You kind of have the, the, the elections in a way kind of become a referendum on this issue, which is, you know, a symbol for the the future development of the city or the direction of the city. In, in this one, it feels to me kind of like, yeah, some people are mad about bike lanes, but that's maybe you know, isolated to wards, certain wards and certain councillors. You've got uh, infill issues. Um, you've got infrastructure projects or LRT development, things like that. But no, like, one issue everybody can rally around and really well, determine their vote. You don't have the hot-button issues yeah. that you had, for example, in the 2010 election, mm-hmm. where we had the <laughs> was, city centre airport. That was, a, that was a significant one Yes, that was a big one. That was a big one for me. I was a... I honestly... It was amazing to uh, deal with Envision Edmonton and some of the issues that we were dealing with back then. And we also had the arena on the horizon. Mm-hmm. I think in 2013, again, you had an exciting mayoral race and you had the arena sort of still, even though it had been approved, you still had these the arena as part of the election. Uh, this election, I mean, bike lanes are out there. I think people are talking about infrastructure projects. They're frustrated that, you know, is for sure the city council is going to focus on making sure that we're on budget and that these big projects are getting done on time and that's where I think city council will be seeing a lot of focus in this next round when we have them elected for another four years. I think some of the other big issues where people are starting to question you know the expense is on the LRT expansion and how things are going to proceed there and so it'll be very interesting to to see if the valley line comes in you know on budget it's a p3 and will it be 29 minutes from you know one end Mm -hmm. of that line to get you to the downtown (laughs) when it's supposed to stop for a lot of traffic signals so there's a lot of questions out there and I think that this council whoever is elected uh, will certainly need to be steering the ship in terms of dealing with these major infrastructure projects. I mean, they're getting money for things like the Yellowhead, so we're going to have a lot of construction there. We're going to have the Valley Line getting, you know, completed. We're going to have potential other lines coming on board. 
and uh, it'll be interesting to see how council does. I, I do think that they recognize that's why they've made some changes administratively. So we will see what happens on that. Um, one other, th we had a, an interview with us at an event uh, last m month with a bunch of young professionals on topics that matter to them this election. And one was diversity on council. Hmm. People, I think, recognizing the fact that we only had one woman counselor and a pretty, um, and, and one um, minority counselor. That was a topic that kind of like had a lot of like attention. So I wonder if that's something that people are going to think about when they're voting. And the other one too, which was pretty, they talk about transit, transportation, all that kind of stuff. But one which was a bit divisive in, at our at our group was um, safe injection sites too. And I know that's kind mm -hmm. of with one, it's, it's not all over the city, but there are some topics that I think are pretty polarizing still. And the transit and transportation issue is more about different perspectives on it. I think everyone's accepting that we have LRT, we have, and even infill, we have infill. It's how to do those projects effectively. And having a council is going to work with administration to put forward their vision. Well, I think the injection sites, I'm surprised they haven't been more of a hot button issue. Mm. I was actually kind of surprised because you're putting them all four of them within a mile of each other. Uh, Infill, I also was expecting to be more of a bigger issue because I certainly have seen it where I live that lots of people are talking about infill. But I think going forward, there's bigger issues coming our way. I just spent two days at a tech conference where they were showing us that automated cars are being tested right now in Toronto. So if you have automated cars and let's say solar gets cheaper than oil, and people are buying electric vehicles because Tesla is bringing those online. Council's going to be making decisions of looking at, okay, we're, we're spending a lot of money on LRT. What's going to happen with these autonomous cars? If it's cheaper, for example, for you to just get door-to-door -door service, how is that going to affect things like transit? So I think there's a lot of rapid changes coming our way that politicians are going to have to start dealing with. Hmm. So I hope these politicians are going to be prepared for that. And I'm very curious to see, in particular, the new faces of what we're going to see get elected in the open wards. Hmm. It's 3.15. We need to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to gripe a little bit about my personal voting experience this morning and see if it might be uh, <clears throat> a sign of a larger issue. So we'll get to that in just a minute here on 6.30 Chad. It's 3.19 on Monday afternoon, Election Day in Edmonton. Brenton Dreger in for Andrew and Jay Lynn and joined by Kim Cruschel, uh, former city councillor, and Zori Saher, president of Intervivos. Wanted to uh, get to this because I, I, I went and voted like bright and early today. I had to kind of get it, get it done so I could come to work and work a nice long shift today to cover the election and so on. Uh, so I was at my polling station. I was the second person in line. Guy ahead of me was Googling candidates in the lineup outside the door. <laughs> He's an informed voter. <laughs> <laughs> he was he was at 901, I hope. <laughs> is, is, I mean that's one person in one one voting station, but is that is that a bit of an example of what we might be looking at in this election? Well, that's why that we tell you that, <laughs> Well, that's why we tell you in civic elections you don't have a parties, right? So it's not so simple and it's name recognition. And in this case, you don't just have the you don't just have the city councilors, you've also got your school board trustees. So I could see where a person goes in there and in fact I've heard that where people will go in and then they realize, "Oh, I'm supposed to vote for my school board trustee." Then they're trying to figure out what they're doing on that. So maybe they were googling that. I'm not surprised. I mean, if, if your name isn't known, at least they're at the polls, so I think that that's a plus, and they're, they're doing their civic duty, but 
Google works. They yeah. can look up all the candidates, and uh, everyone has a website, so you can make it and you can make an informed decision. Yeah, at least he um, came to the the polls to to vote because a lot of people like complained during the municipal election. It's too confusing. I know a friend messaged me yesterday. Is like, oh, where is there a website that compares people's platforms on on all the topics? I'm like. Uh, like that's going to take a bit of while. While so I had to do some work for her, oh. it's real. It can get really complicated and really weird and wacky to try to figure out what, things that you're passionate about. What different candidates have to say, and I think a lot of people are look, doing that yesterday. And like you said, the person in front of you was doing it today. Is this the thing? Like, if if there's not one big issue that everybody is has in the back of their mind when they're going to the ballot box, then you have to think, oh, well, municipal politics. What do those people, you know, what are they responsible for? What is the issue I'm voting on? Is it traffic? Like, is that why? Yeah, it's like one, and also like the way people present their information, like you can see, like, is this a, is this a person that literally just maybe decided to run the day before nomination day? Have they been out talking to people, building a really good policy platform? You can kind of tell that thing by looking at people's websites, their social media, well, the other factor that type is of thing. People are just tuning in to the civic election now. Mm. I mean, quite frankly, this is the D-Day. This is the important time. Ten days out is when you really want to be pounding those doors as a candidate, and people are finally starting to pay attention. Now, you should have been door knocking and been out there getting your flyers out and touching that person as much as possible to get them engaged. But this is when the media gets engaged. <laughs> this is when people start to go, oh, yeah, there's a civic election. But you brought up an interesting point. You talked about, you know, what, what does your local government do? And I think what people need to think about is the city of Edmonton's, you know, it's a think of it as a corporation and you're selecting those people that are going to be on your board. And that's a pretty important position, and they are making decisions that affect us every day. And I'll give you examples. People complain about potholes. I took lots of complaints on that. Well, it's your city councilor that they're calling to say, listen, fix this problem I've got in front of my street. Uh, if you're worried about crime, you're worried about police. Yes, you do have the chief of police, but you also, lots of people will go to the councilors and say, listen, you're making the overall budget decision for police. Mm -hmm. Fire is the same. So those are critical things, and these politicians are affecting your life daily, and that's why I say, listen, get out and vote. So people have uh, well, four and a half hours left to vote, and then, of course, we'll have Decision Edmonton tonight here on CHED. Um, but what are candidates doing right now? Like, <laughs> are, like are, are they trying to take a nap so they can stay <laughs> up late and celebrate or commiserate tonight? I mean, what do you spend Election Day doing? You can't knock on doors. For my team, my, when I was doing this, my campaign manager always wanted to just keep me calm. You're, you're nervous. You can't help it. And uh, so the big thing that they would do with me is keep me busy. So I would do what I could to talk to or follow up on any phone calls if constituents were calling in, be active, you know, if I could do, you know, more door knock, whatever that they wanted me the to do. To get out the vote stuff? Absolutely. But you get to the point where you're done. You really can't do anything. Can't make phone calls for 10 so, hours. No. <laughs> so you, what your campaign team is doing with the candidate is keeping them and you know working on the speech but not not too much in advance because they want them to be calm and ready for what the results are going to be You've, you're going to have your speech of if you win but you're also going to have your speech if you lose and so as a candidate I certainly practice both because you can't be arrogant just you know expect you're going to win even when you're an incumbent so those are some of the things the candidate's doing they'll spend time with their campaign team and really thank everybody for all the work that they've done hmm. because I can tell you that you don't get elected without a people stepping up to volunteer their time. So that's kind of what's going on today. 
I saw that on um, social media today. There's a a group that's at Remedy on on Off White on 109th Street. They have to set up an all day um, podcast or video. Oh. They just candidates can just come and talk. And I checked in a couple <laughs> times, and they actually had a few candidates who came in just to to talk. I saw Andrew Knack there this morning, like in his like sweatpants and stuff too just came by to like <laughs> make sure that he was showing that he was engaging this like this dem- this demographic but yeah i think a lot of people are waiting and just seeing what's what's going on i think they're probably watching with their campaign manager a lot what like turnouts right looking like because they probably have to maybe put some more resources and that type of thing towards getting more people at the polls Okay, we got to run in a minute here. Someone, if you can give me 15 seconds uh, on on this one. But Kim brought this up, so I just got to ask this. Uh, Mayor Don Iveson apparently said today he's written two speeches for tonight. Do you think he's written two? <laughs> or is he only practicing? Think, is he only practicing one? I think he's he's probably practicing one, and probably someone on his campaign team has written the second, just in case <laughs> something Look, weird I, and wacky they haven't, they haven't happens. Printed it off. I, I, I think that Don has actually done a very good job of being very respectful to all the other candidates mm. that are running. I mean, I think we've talked about the fact you have a lot of fringe issues. You have had single issue candidates. You've got one that's invisible, who's got an agent, and I think that he's handled himself <laughs> very well because one of the mistakes he could have made was to ridicule or or start looking mm-hmm. at these candidates as less than being part of the civic election process. Arrogance doesn't get you many votes. Arrogance doesn't help you. And that so happened, he's, yeah, he's that, happened Nenshi, that happened a little bit with Nenshi in Calgary mm-hmm. too. I think the last few yeah. days he had to be a little less confident. So I think that Don probably has written the two speeches because that's what you do. Hmm. Uh, but I don't think he'll be giving the I've lost the election speech. I think a lot of us have talked about that. All right. I would be quite shocked if that happened. It would be a very interesting speech. All right. Thanks a lot for coming in. That's uh, Kim Cruschel and Zore Saher. And of course, Decision Edmonton uh, right here on Ched after the polls close tonight. Time for the news. It's 3.38 on the 6.30 Chet Afternoon News. Brenton Dreger in for Andrew and Jalen. I don't usually get to be on this side of the music. That's good. Mm, That's good. All right. (laughs) Yes, it is that time of the week where we are joined by one of our friends from ATB Financial. Today it's Rob Roach, Director of Insight, Economics and Research at ATB Financial. How are you doing today, Rob? Doing great. How are you, Brenton? I'm pretty good. (laughs) We can just let that music play for a while. It's pretty upbeat for an election Monday. Yeah, that's good. Um, hey, today I uh, wanted to ask you a bit about uh, the connection between uh, the population of Alberta and the Alberta economy. And you were you were running some numbers on this week. What did you find? Yeah, well, we, we often track um, the number of interprovincial migrants uh, to and from Alberta. Uh, so that's people coming to Alberta from other parts of, of the country and then, of course, leaving. People come and go from the province all the time. Mm-hmm. Because that number is very sensitive to the job market. There's lots of reasons people might come to Alberta, coming for school, maybe they're going to retire uh, to the mountains or something, but most of that, uh, that traffic is due to the jobs. So if people are coming, it's a sign that the labor market's strong, they're finding employment. And if they're leaving in larger numbers than usual, the opposite is true. And sure enough, you know, not a big surprise, the recession did uh, hit us hard here in the province. And we saw about, you know, over the last couple of years, a net loss of about 30,000 people uh, from Alberta to other parts of the country. And that's a particularly uh, tough for us because we're used to the opposite. We're used to getting a lot of 
of people coming here a lot more than, than leaving. But that interprovincial number is only one of three different ways that our, our population grows. So uh, we want to take a look, of course, at uh, international migration. And unlike the interprovincial movements, it's still been very strong. It's on the positive side of the ledger over the last couple of years. About 75,000 people net. Um, so, again, people come and go from Alberta for other parts of the world all the time, but gained about 75,000 people through international immigration uh, over the last couple of years. It's, it's interesting to me that we're even talking about this. Uh, I myself am kind of one of those uh, interprovincial migrants. I grew up in Manitoba and came here, what, 2008? So it's been nine and a half years and moved here for, for a job, economic opportunity, I suppose. And coming from a place like Manitoba, <laughs> where people inside Manitoba don't even talk about their population, here in Alberta, it seems like something that we watch uh, really closely. Well, we're an unusual place, uh, not only within Canada, but in a lot of the advanced economies around the world. They're looking at their populations, and they're very stagnant. Growth is very slower, in some cases, actually shrinking. Um, so we are an unusual case, and, and usually we benefit from that interprovincial inflow. We're still benefiting, as most parts of Canada do as well, on the international side. But we also have the youngest population in the in the country hmm. and one of the uh and, and one of the highest uh, birth rates not the highest but one of the highest so we have fewer people dying as a proportion each year and a, and a, and a large percentage of, of births you put those two numbers together and we're actually the fastest growing province in the country in terms of what we call natural increase so birth less deaths um, and we're way ahead of the canadian average we're almost double uh, so there's a lot of young babies being born every year, which also keeps our population growing. And, of course, that stimulates the economy. Hmm. So if you're looking at opening a, a new business, you'd be better off uh, franchising another bye-bye uh, baby and, and not another funeral home in Alberta. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Alberta is also aging. Um, you know, even though we have the fewest number of seniors as a percentage of our population, our seniors' population is still growing. So there's, um, And that's not a problem to be solved. Seniors are... Um, contributing members of society they bring mm -hmm. all kinds of positives as well as as challenges so but we are younger and that does give us this uh, unique situation in the country where you know it is a good place um, on the retail side there's a lot of spending that goes on around um, when young families that's a good time for uh, a lot of retailers uh, it's a good boost it helps explain why our retail sector even though it did suffer during the recession Still, on a per capita basis, Albertans spend more on, on, on retail than anywhere else in the country. And it's mm. partly due to our, our demographics. Now, this might be a question, I guess, for the, for the, the data nerds out there a little bit. But you talked a bit about uh, how we've been losing people from Alberta since 2015, since you know, this, this recession. If you were to punch all the numbers into your, your graph-making software and plot population versus, you know, GDP, economic growth or, or uh, recession. I mean, do those two lines line up pretty closely in Alberta? They do line up on that interprovincial uh, side. So right. we, when, when things are really hot here, the number of people on a net basis coming to Alberta from other places in Canada, the line is up as well as the GDP. And we have seen when GDP has... Uh, tapered off and, and shrank over the last couple of years. We've seen the net, the net outflow um, to other places in the country also increase. However, international migration, I mean, people do come to Alberta looking for jobs and they, you know, they, they'd be concerned over the last couple of years seeing the economy um, go through a downturn. But those uh, decisions are made more long-term. They're coming here to set up something um, not just in the immediate uh, economy, but over the long term. And so the decision is more 
uh, less tied to the immediate economy. So we don't see immigration numbers from around the world drop. Um, and of course, births uh, are still happening independent of the economy. <laughs> what we do see change is um, the number of temporary people in the province uh, from other countries uh, here for jobs. That number has dropped significantly. In fact, we're losing people in terms of what they call temporary um, immigrants. Uh, people here on work visas, the jobs aren't here, not surprisingly. We've got a lot fewer people coming in, and, and when they leave, they're not coming back. So that is a number that is also down along with the economy and should pick up um, as, as our economy picks up as well. So, so this is all interesting to, to talk about, but what does this mean if you're, if you're running the government here in Alberta? If you're, if you're losing people, your population is, is decreasing, um, obviously there's, there's less strain, I suppose, on services, or, uh, but there's also a bit of a, a hit to your tax revenue, isn't there? Is, is, is there a significant impact on the government side for this? Absolutely. I mean, demographics uh, are a huge issue, and one, it's a good problem that Alberta still has because we're still growing. So some provinces, you know, Newfoundland, um, their natural increase is negative. They have more deaths per year than, than they have births. Um, more people are leaving the province for other parts of the country than coming. They're still gaining a few people internationally, but they're, you know, a challenge in that part of the country is how do they attract more people? How do they keep from their population shrinking? We still have a growing population. It's just not as fast. And that might actually take a bit of pressure off. Um, it depends, you know, from what perspective you're looking. If you're a store, um, more people means more business. But if you're planning infrastructure for the province, a little bit of breathing room with a few uh, less people coming in all at once might give some breathing room for the government to uh, uh, plan some things. But we're still growing, so we still have an increasing population to, to, to deal with in that sense. Hmm. All right. Good stuff. Thanks as always, Rob. You betcha. Have a great afternoon. Yeah, you too. There you go. Rob Roach with ATB Financial. He's the uh, Director of Insight uh, for Economics and Research over at ATB Financial. 346, you're listening to the 630 Chad Afternoon News. You're listening to the 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jalen Nye and Andrew Gross on 630 Chad, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. It's 3.50 on the 6.30 Ched Afternoon News. My name is Brenton Dreger, sitting in for Andrew and Jaylin uh, today. Uh, they'll be in later on with our Decision Edmonton election coverage tonight here on 6.30 Ched starting uh, at 8 o'clock. Um, 6.30 Ched and globalnews.ca will have Decision Edmonton from 8 to 9.30. Anchored by Gord Steinke and Caroline Devaney, also featuring Ryan Jesperson, Jay Lynn and Andrew, and then, of course, after 9.30, after that show wraps up, then Andrew and Jay Lynn will continue extended coverage right here on 6.30 Ched. Uh, interesting series uh, starting today and running throughout the week on uh, globalnews.ca and 630ched.com looks at the rising rates of sexually transmitted infections. Now here in Alberta, obviously, this is something we're familiar with here uh, as a significant problem here with our young population, uh, but a series this week uh, looks at below the belt, Canada's STI problem. And joining us to talk a bit about the series and some of the stories that have already rolled out today on globalnews.ca and 630ched.com is Marilisa Racco. She's a smart living journalist for Global News. Marilisa, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Thanks for having me, Brent. Well, uh, first of all, I mean, when you we're talking about this, this issue below the belt, Canada's STI problem, how much have our STI rates gone up? 
Well, I think what's most shocking about this is that these, the rates of STIs have been sort of steadily rising in Canada since the late 1990s. I think that between sort of, you know, the AIDS epidemic of the 80s um, until sort of the mid-90s, there was um, definitely a heightened awareness about practicing safe sex. And yet, for some reason, by the late 1990s, um, that sort of changed. And um, we've seen roughly a 70% increase in STIs since then. Hmm. Wow. As you mentioned, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it was, it was um, all about HIV and AIDS. What are the biggest problems now as far as STIs are concerned? Which ones are the biggest problem? Well, the top three STIs, if you will, um, that are reportable diseases, um, because not everything is reportable, but those that, that we do have numbers on are chlamydia, gonorrhea, and syphilis. Um, and those have all really sort of shockingly increased over, over, the, last, over the last 20 to 30 years. Hmm. Um, and what's behind it? Um, there are a number of factors involved. Um, you know, some of it is increased screening, so um, we're definitely more aware because we're looking for them more. Um, there is also um, an issue that, you know, some healthcare providers believe is one of the main reasons why they've gone up is because um, PAP tests um, in several provinces across the country are not being carried out as frequently as they once were. Hmm. And when it comes to chlamydia and gonorrhea, those are... Um, you know, detected primarily from doing a pap test. There are other ways of testing for them, but primarily that's how it's done. And since, um, since they've sort of scaled back the pap tests from yearly to every three years, there has been a considerable rise. Hmm. From a, a public health perspective, we've had a lot of uh, campaigns. Um, I mean, are they working? You know, nobody wants the campaigns to stop. Because I think it's important to have um, to have this this issue front and center. I think it's important to be vocal about it and to um, you know keep the conversation going. Um, but what's really important is really stressing, um, especially with you know late teens and early twenties, the importance of practicing safe sex because that is sort of you know one of the main issues that we're encountering that there is a very low percentage of people who are actually using condoms when they have sex. Um, I had to look this up again today, just out of curiosity, but there was a, a campaign in here in Alberta that, that made headlines because of how catchy and, and edgy it was. It was the Plenty of SIF uh, campaign, kind of a spoof of a, of, of a dating website kind of thing and, and just showing, the, I guess, the prevalence of syphilis and that kind of thing. Does that, does that, do you remember that campaign? That, I can't say I'm familiar with okay. that campaign, but it does sound awfully clever. <laughs> it was so clever that some people didn't think it was funny, or, or I think maybe it was the Plenty of Fish, I think, was a little upset that it was so very close to their successful, you know, legitimate dating website. <laughs> yes, well. <laughs> yeah. Now, you, you've done the story uh, uh, that's online at globalnews.ca and 630ched.com on why STI rates are going up, um, and also you've, you've done another one about what you're legally obligated to disclose if you have an STI. Can you walk us through what those legal criteria are? Yes. Um, so it is... Um um, you know, legally, it's a legal obligation to disclose um, your status before engaging in intercourse with someone where they could potentially be put at risk. So um, really what it comes down to is 
proving that you were negligible enough to expose a partner unknowingly to an STI. And so that's where it does tend to become a bit of a gray area. Hmm. And, uh, I mean, we're running out of time here, but I wanted to ask you real quickly, Marilisa, uh, what else uh, can we expect to come uh, our way as far as this uh, series, Below the Belt, Canada's STI problem this week? We have a host of stories coming out, including, um, you know, looking at STIs and teens and STI education in schools. Uh, we have another one coming up on STIs and pregnancy and STI and STIs and seniors, which um, hmm. that's another number that's going up. Wow. Um, and uh, we have um, a story coming out tomorrow that is sort of uh, a really great explainer on when to get tested, how to know when it's time to get tested, the requisite amount of times to wait to be tested. Um, so it's a really great sort of nuts and bolts piece covering everything that you need to know about STI testing. Okay, good stuff. Thanks for bringing us up to speed, Marilisa. Thank you so much, and uh, please remember to share our hashtag, which is Let's Talk STIs. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, Marilisa. Talk to you later. Thank you. There you Bye-bye. go. That's uh, smart living journalist for Global News, Marilisa Racco. You can find the series Below the Belt, Canada's STI Problem at globalnews.ca and 630ched.com.